What time is it? I have 20 minutes. What do you say? Matthew chapter 6. Well, Pastor Rob and I were talking last night about how we approach things and, and ministry, and, and it occurred to me again as we conversed that you can always come to this moment with more than you could possibly do. Preaching, teaching, and I think it's the challenge of anybody that works in this kind of a scenario that you just always have more than you can get in. Unless you're in China and you're going to go all day, you might be able to get it all in. Um, in China, they're in no hurry to go home. And it's not an accusation. It's just kind of when they can get, you know, clandestine meeting in a cave, they're, they're going to be there, get done with business, and then they'll go home because they might not get back for some time. But it is important to get the most important things in first because all the rest of it can follow, right? This is the most important part right here. Matthew chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to start at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some versions say riches. Some say money. Some would broaden the definition of this word in the original to mean for us the world order. The, the structure and schematic and design of the fallen earth and the priorities that it gives us, hands to us on a daily basis. You can't serve the world structure. You can't serve the world order and God at the same time. It can be interpreted in lots of different ways. You and I are challenged on a regular daily basis, I think, to decide almost constantly in a regular pattern who's going to be God today. Who's going to, who am I going to serve? Am I going to serve me? Am I going to serve him? Am I going to serve my boss? Am I going to, am I going to have a divided mind toward two masters? And if I keep that in place long enough, this divided view of who's leading my life, then eventually I will love one and hate the other. Jesus told us this, or I'll you know, be faithful to one and despise the other and still try to serve them both. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, Jesus continues, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Thus the little robin and the sparrow conversation. Are you not of more value than they? By the way, just to slip in, part of the world order that's it's all around us constantly is, is this idea that even nature itself and all the animals and things have equal value. Did you know the Bible tells you right here that it's not true? You are more valuable. God made you in his image. He didn't make doggies and kitties and canaries and things in his image. They all can bring glory to him. And the mountains shout forth his praise. The trees, the Bible says, wave their hands and give glory. They do what they were created to do in bringing honor and reflective glory to God. But you and I have been given a choice created in his image to reflect purposefully and consciously. And uh, where's Rob Carmel? Rob, where's you? Cognitively, brother. Stuck with me. Thoughtfully 
to worship and praise and respond to our creator. We are the creation, but we are made in his image. Not everything's created equal. Okay? Um, I think Christians ought to be the greatest group in, when it comes to environmentalism and, and saving the planet and all that. Okay? Because we're about making things better, not making things worse. We're about improvement in life and life abundant. So you can incorporate that into being green if you want. But don't make green the God. Or you'll try and serve two masters. You're of more value than they. Jesus did not die to redeem the animals. He died for you. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things, and sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In this verse 32, I find all these things the Gentiles seek. Think about it with me just for a moment on this point. Gentiles here would represent those who are unbelievers, those who are not people of faith. And you know, we're, the only thing that makes us different than a heathen today or a Gentile or a pagan is that Christ found us. And they're still waiting to find him. He's working with us to minister the gospel to them so that they too can say, I'm no longer a heathen or a Gentile. Right? In the Bible, we have Jews, we have Gentiles, those of God's people, those who are not God's people. And those who are not God's people, in this case, using the word Gentiles, as Jesus does, the Gentiles, I pulled this out of a commentary, and I just wrote it down, it says, knowing nothing definitely beyond the present life, to kindle their aspirations and engage their supreme attention, the heathen naturally uh, pursue present objects as their chief and they're only good. It's the best they can do to think about, and it was the best we could do to think about taking care of today and tomorrow and planning for the future and trying to build a nice nest and live in it and be comfortable and have this and have that and keep up with the Joneses or whatever. It was We had no future sight. We had nothing beyond this life to anticipate. But you and I, when we come to Christ, we realize, oh, this is just a training center. This is just temporary. When we hear scriptures from, the, from Jesus and the writers of the New Testament saying to us, we're just passing through. This is temporal. We're like campers here. Uh, some of us have better tents than others, evidently. <laughs> and some of us put a little more money into our temporal dwellings. But eventually, it's not going to be here any longer. And we're moving into an eternal life with Christ. So that's our focus. And when you have that focus... You don't have to worry about all these daily mundane pieces. Because even if you don't have them or you don't get them, eternity is still a good place to be. Right? We're going somewhere. But the heathen don't know that. They don't have that thing to set them on fire about tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And 
it doesn't really matter as much if this doesn't work out the way I hope because eternity is still ahead of me. Last week we talked from Philippians chapter 4. You know, it said, don't be anxious for anything. This is Jesus' teaching here. We started in this Matthew 6 last week as well, but we didn't come to this portion. And uh, I titled my message, it's in my computer. I don't, this is, you know, these are my notes. They're not very pretty, but they work for me. The other ones work better for cell leaders. <laughs> you know, every, Jesus is telling us every day brings its own cares. Think about it. To anticipate tomorrow's cares, the only thing it does is double them. Because now you bring them back into today. So you're going to have them today and tomorrow. How much wait till they get here? And have them tomorrow. And we'll just have them once. It's pretty simple logic, isn't it? It's like, have you, hey, if you think about it, someone told me there's a statistic that says, uh, you know, 85% of things we worry about never happen. Well, that means we're spending an awful lot of our energy on things that aren't going to take place. Simple silliness on our part. Proper worship is, I I think the title of the message I wrote was Proper Worship, Prudence, and Preparation. The point for me here in Matthew 6 is that there are things to be prudent about. There are things to be prepared for. But where it should start is with proper worship. Jesus said, in all of these things that might bring anxiousness to you and your concern about tomorrow and the future and what's going to happen should bring us back to this point where he says, hey, 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 seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The rest will work on. Get the engine at the front of the train. Don't leave this with the caboose. Right? Get this thing going the right direction. Consider him. Who is looking unto Jesus, it says in Hebrews, the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, the joy, that was joy. We were singing, be exalted, be exalted this morning. I I was enjoying that very much because being visual, I was seeing, I'll just throw some random scenes in my mind. I saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three guys. I go, oh, he was exalted there. I saw him on the road to Emmaus talking with the two guys after the resurrection. Oh, he was exalted there. And I saw him healing the blind and raising the dead. And my mind was just flashing through the New Testament. I go, he's exalted, he's exalted, he's exalted. And then, just when I was enjoying myself immensely, bang, the cross appeared in my thoughts. And I thought, yes. That's where he was most exalted. Jesus had said about himself, if I be lifted up from the earth... Then I'll draw all men to myself. This signifying the way he would die. And when he was lifted up, I thought, I see this. They were killing him. And Jesus said, no, I'm being exalted as Lord above all. And this is the price. This is the payment that I must make to have you for myself. Oh, it makes it a lot easier to sing, be exalted when you see him high and lifted up. Get worship first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let the rest get added on. Yes, we need to be prudent. I remember after I got saved, 
in high school, um, my life was transformed. Jesus changed me. I was not the same anymore. And some of my friends said, you're such a prude. (laughs) And I wasn't the smartest, you know, what what they say, I wasn't the brightest crayon in the box or whatever. (laughs) And I kind of just smiled back and thought, I know what they mean. They're being derogatory. That I could figure out. But I had learned to um, take on the phrase, an insult resounding from ignorance is a compliment. Thank you very much. So I knew they were insulting me, but I, I actually went home and got a dictionary. And I looked up prude. I thought, what is it they're calling me? And while there are a few definitions, I moved down to being prudent in the dictionary. And being prudent was awesome. It was somebody who was filled with wisdom and anticipated what was coming and was prepared for tomorrow. It was somebody that used wisdom to the fullest extent uh, to make sure things worked out right. It was somebody who had a future look and anticipated and prepared even in the natural resources for what was going to be necessary in the future. I thought, wow, these guys have done me a service. They've called me a prude. And while I may not be the prude they're thinking of, the Bible says that we should be prudent. Turn, if you will, to uh, find it here. I'm sure I didn't tear it up and throw it away somewhere. Proverbs 16:21. I have a number of these, but I don't want to get them all. I just want to get these few, maybe three. Proverbs 16, verse 21. The Bible will help you. The Bible is a great dictionary. It's a great encyclopedia. It's a learning center for life. I use it as a dictionary often. So people say a word, I say, ah, I'm not sure I know how to spell that. But I know where it is in the Bible. So I can go and find it as a dictionary and get the word spelling. Hey, you're such a prude. Uh Uh-huh. And so when I go to the scriptures, I read in verse 21, the wise in heart will be called prudent. Oh, they're indirectly calling me the wise in heart. I like that. Can't hardly wait to see them next time and thank them. Proverbs 18.15 The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The heart of the prudent acquires knowledge. The ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Flip a couple more chapters to verse chapter 22. Verse 3, a prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. Another way of saying he's prepared for it. But the simple pass on and are punished. The prudent man foresees evil and hides himself or prepares for it. But the simple just pass on and they walk right into it and it takes them out. That's the tunnel version. I want to be this prudent person the Bible talks about. I want to acquire knowledge. I want to acquire wisdom. I don't want to worry about tomorrow. I don't want to add to my gray hairs from, you know, worrying. And I don't have many. 
I have, they're in my beard. <laughs> I hid them and shaved them off. Yeah. Well, they say, you know, as you grow older, that uh, your hair grows in. And if it touches gray matter, it grows out gray. I know now some of you who don't have little bald spots are wondering. It's not touching anything. <laughs> so, I know. He doesn't put, God doesn't put marble tops on cheap furniture. I know. So the, the prudent man, prudent woman, acquires knowledge, acquires wisdom. What does Proverbs chapter 3 say about getting wisdom? Verse 13, chapter 3, Proverbs says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Where does it come from? It comes from the Lord. Wisdom comes from the Lord. Wisdom comes out of the mouth of God. Comes through His Word to us. Comes through when the body gathers and the gifts operate and you have the Holy Spirit in the midst of us where two or three gather in His name and He's in the midst. All kinds of wisdom takes place there. Not just fellowship and koinonia and hanging out together and enjoying each other's company. We can actually pray, see miracles. We can have Him, you know, one and one makes three when Jesus is in the room. Right? And so... Uh, I might have an answer or solution for a problem, and you might have one, but when we get together and begin to discuss, this is the word synergy, that we come up with more than the results, more than the sum of those things offered. One plus one should be two, but no, it's not. When the Holy Spirit enters the process, we have one plus one makes three or four or five, and he begins to reveal things that become answers to life. It isn't to worry, it's to seek him first. And when we seek him first and he comes into our midst together, then we gain his wisdom. It comes from his mouth. God dispenses it. This is a, a huge chapter on wisdom. It says, Her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all things that you may desire cannot compare with her. We're talking about wisdom. The prudent gets wisdom. Length of days is in her right hand. Last week we said, do you want to have a long life and live at peace? Right? How are we going to do that? Not by being anxious. Not by worrying. We're going to follow the commands of God. So we're going to go to him now. We're going to get this wisdom. He says, her ways are, are, uh, are ways of pleasure, pleasantness. All her paths are peace. Here we are again. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happier are all those who retain her. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up, and clouds dropped down the dew. My son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot shall not, will not stumble. When you lie down, you won't be afraid. Yes, you'll lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. Some of you need a little less anxious nights. Come on, am I right? Some of us toss and turn and flip and flop and worry about tomorrow a lot. Yeah, that rhymed. I just noticed. Huh, how's that go? I'm a poet and I didn't think so. Uh, You'll lie down and your sleep will be sweet. 
Don't be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. This is part of the message is why I hope I can get this point across. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. There are announcements around us regularly of the troubles that are coming. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were talking and we're having a cell leader meeting after church. A lot of the apprentice cell leaders and other leaders, potential leaders are joining us. And we're talking about the church and what happens when trouble really comes. What when they decide to, you know, revoke this and tax that and close this and imprison uh, the leaders of the church in America? He's, oh, that'll never happen. Well, the prudent looks ahead and prepares. The prudent asks God for wisdom, but he doesn't make that his focus. He keeps God his focus. She keeps God her focus. She begins to say, these things may come, but he's still in control. I'm not out of his hands, no matter what happens. I'm still going to lay down and sleep at night, even if it's in a prison cell. I'd be all right, as long as I sleep. Well, they're going to torture you. Fine. Send me ahead to eternity as quickly as possible. I have a destination. I'm not trying to live it out in peace here necessarily, just to have my own way and have all my own stuff. But if trouble comes, if my focus is on the king and my my worship and my pursuit is his kingdom and his righteousness, then I believe along the way he's going to give us wisdom of how to be prepared. The prudent will get knowledge. Uh, God will give us gifts in the body of Christ to prepare for disasters and problems. They say that in China, the best thing that happened to ever happened to the church in China in the last few hundred years was when they closed China and they drove out all the missionaries. They drove them all out, everybody out. And then they imprisoned all the pastors of the Christian churches throughout the entire country. And they began to persecute the church. And the church went underground. And for 30 years, we didn't hear from the church in China. When they went underground, the estimates there were only 3 million Christians in China. When the church surfaced 30 years later, there were 30 million. I said, maybe they ought to come to the United States and imprison all the pastors. Shut down the churches. But see, in cells, we're ready for that problem as well. God's already given us prudence and wisdom and foresight. But every person, as, as Lucy stood up here and represented cell leaders this morning, every cell leader... God is giving you a responsibility to shepherd souls. And if they come and crush the center meeting place or revoke leadership privileges for pastors or leaders, it shouldn't hurt us at all. In fact, it should probably improve our ability to scatter and serve him in the cell structure. That's, a, that's an advertisement for cell groups, by the way. If you're not in one, you ought to be in one. Where people you can have friends with will know. You know, remember the little fish, the little ichthus thing in the early church? The little fish, the bumper sticker. <laughs> we have a bumper sticker. We have it on Bible cases and stuff. You know, the, the concept was when you were in the streets and the church was being persecuted, uh, if you were a believer, you would just sort of reach down with your stick or your cane or your staff or whatever and draw uh, uh, this ark. It was meaningless to anybody that didn't know what was happening. But if the other person was also a believer, they would touch your ark and cross it again and make the sign of the fish. This was called the ichthus, and it represented that which stood for Christ. Jesus wasn't a fish. Amen? 
I-X-O-I-E, it goes in the middle of you, seen as Jesus Christ, Son of God, Lord, and Savior, were the kind of the name of that process. So um, God gave them wisdom. The church met in the catacombs. Then they buried him in the catacombs. Joseph in Egypt, right? God gave these dreams to the leaders of Egypt that said, this is what's going to happen. We've got to find somebody. And all of a sudden, this guy comes out of prison who God has been preparing for just this moment, who was despised by his own family members. And he himself said later when he was restored to his brothers, what you did, you meant for evil. But God meant it for good. You can't have that kind of response in life unless your focus is on God. So you meant it for evil. And it was. I was in prison and I got Potiphar's wife. No, he said, no, it turned out for good. God was in charge the whole time. In fact, I got to run the prison. I got to run Potiphar's house. I was exalted everywhere I went. They made me the leader of everything. This poor little Hebrew kid. And then, boom, second in command, leading all of Egypt. Through the most critical moments of history of the time. Fed everybody. In fact, he was so good. If you read the scriptures, you'll find out Pharaoh ended up owning everything. I mean, Joseph bought up the whole country by feeding people. Not only did he buy the country for his leader, but he kept people alive. Saved the family and the lineage of Christ. God's in charge. I'm going to close. You got the gist of it? Okay, let me read chapter 12 of Job. Now, here's a guy that could have got off track, right? Could have lost focus. But I, I like this answering he gives in chapter 12. And I think it will help sum it up for me. I don't know how clear this has been today, but I feel like I'm just sort of scratching in the moment, saying that Job chapter 12, that troubled times are still ahead of us. Paul said in Timothy, perilous times will come. And he gives a list of how things are going to look. Probably in every generation that existed since then has read that chapter and said, we're living in it. Right? And we're living in it too. That's the power of the scripture. It's good for then, it's good for now, it's good for the future. Perilous times will come. They're coming to us. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I'm not going to get focused there and make that my master. That's not going to run my life. That's not going to direct traffic on how I live. It's not going to mandate my every thought and keep me awake at night. I'm going to lift my eyes to the author and finisher of faith. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The rest of it can get added on. But in the moment, call me a prude if you want to. I'm getting wisdom. I'm getting knowledge. I'm getting insight. God is placing into the body saving uh, uh, wisdom that will protect us in the difficult times and lead us into his kingdom dwelling on earth nonetheless, no matter what the conditions of society become. I'm going to start at verse 7. Job is answering his critics here in, in uh, is what it says at the top of my chapter. Job answers his critics. And, and he answered and said, let me go right to verse 7. But now ask the beasts and they will teach you. And the birds of the air and they will tell you. Speak to the earth, and it will teach you. And the fish of the sea will explain to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? 
Does not the ear test the words and the mouth taste its food? Wisdom is with aged men and with length of days comes understanding. With him, capital H, that's God. With him are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and understanding. If he breaks a thing down, it cannot be rebuilt. If he imprisons a man, there can be no release. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the earth. With him are strength and, oh, prudence. The deceived and the deceiver are his. What? God's in charge of the deceivers too? He leads counselors away plundered and makes fools of the judges. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds their waist with a belt. He leads princes away plundered and overthrows the mighty. He deprives the trusted ones of speech and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and disarms the mighty. He uncovers deep things out of darkness and brings the shadow of death to light. He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and guides them. He takes away the understanding of the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless wilderness. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. I'll just stop there. We could continue into this conversation in chapter 13, because it's not really a natural break there. It is for us in our Bible. But what do I hear Job say? God's in charge. If he wants to put a guy in jail, he's not getting out. If he wants to release a man like Joseph, you can't keep him in. If he wants to provide for you, he's going to do it and nobody's going to stop him. If he wants to take a nation and make them fools, he'll raise them up and make them fools and then he'll destroy them. He uses everything to his own glory and his own advantage. This is the God I'm seeking first. Therefore, I have no anxieties. I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Let those worries stay in tomorrow. I will be prudent. I will plan for the future. I will see trouble coming and I will hide myself because he'll show me how to do it. He'll show us as a body of Christians how to do it. But I don't have to live serving two masters, fear and God. I'm just going to serve God and let him take care of the fear. Is that okay? Now, I'm not talking specifically to any one plunderous kind of issue that may be arising. I just think that they're around us all the time, that it's being brought up. And here's the answer over here, and here's the answer over there. Here's the answer. Say, listen, the Bible has the answer. Amen? Let's keep my eyes focused. Keep my seeking on him first. Let the rest get added on. If it doesn't get added on, that's okay. I've got a bright eternity. I won't need it. Here's a, here's a simple illustration in closing. We're in the, in the book of Acts. We said they got together and the church was growing like crazy. And people were being added to the church all the time. And, and, uh, and they had all things in common. People were selling their properties and bringing the money and laying it at the apostles' feet. And they were taking care of the needs of the body. Remember that? What happened within the next generation? Jerusalem was leveled, right? Destroyed, burned to the ground, temple and all. What do you think happened to property values? Where was the prudence in selling things and giving it away? Sustain the body, sustain the believers, maintain the church. Everybody was getting fed and cared for and taken care of. And nobody knew Jerusalem was going to be leveled. But God was leading his church 
and keeping them fit for this moment when it would come. And then as they were leaving town, burned to the ground, you know, Eusebius or whoever was there, you know, Flytacius or whatever his name was, you know, look, look bad, look, look back and said, I sold at the peak. And look at the good it's done. Look at all the people that's saved. Look at all the mouths that's fed, the families that are safe. As we meander out of this destroyed city. Why? Because he was so smart? No, because God leads those who seek him first. And he takes care of us. And we could count on him. I'm not counting on, well, I can't say that. Maybe you could say you're not counting on your boss. <laughs> I'm counting on my boss. <laughs> I used to have one of those bumper stickers that says, I love my job, I love my boss. You ever see that one? Most people don't say that. But I do. I love my job and I love my boss. Father, this morning we are counting on you to help us solidify our hearts, our thinking. Lord, may the world call us prudes in the most beautiful sense of the word. May we be prudent, filled with your wisdom with your knowledge, with your solutions. May we find supernatural leading of the Holy Spirit to do things that may seem uncommon or out of the norm, and and yet it is the blessing that you bring to your kingdom. Help us to focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, so that we are not disturbed and we're not thrown aside like those who have no future or have no hope, but we would put our eyes on Jesus and seek first the, your kingdom, Father. And your righteousness, may it come in the midst of us regularly, daily, constantly. Let us live from the life that flows from the throne and not be thrown aside and let other things become our gods in this world. Lord, I pray that you will preserve our minds safe from anxiety and worry. Lord, give us your view of things and help us to live in peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I may get a chance to straighten this message out in the future. But I hope you got a piece of it today. All right?